Welcome to Reimagine Mobility podcast series. I'm here with Thomas Wallner from Argonne National Lab. Thomas, thanks for joining us today and thanks for together with us here, help us reimagine mobility, certainly with, with your experience in this space and what you guys are doing at, at Argonne. So maybe to start out with, tell us a little bit what your responsibility is, but then certainly tell us what is Argonne doing? Because everybody knows about Argonne, but I think there's a lot of people are like, I don't really know exactly what they're doing, what their purpose is. So maybe we'll start out with that and then let's, let's jump into really what your purpose is to help us all in this industry reimagine mobility. All right. Well, first off, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. I'm always excited to share um, some about the work we do here at Argonne. So, um, for those of you who don't know Argonne National Lab, um, we are a, a government-owned contract-operated facility outside of Chicago, about 3,500 employees, um, and uh, we have an applied energy technologies directorate that's specifically focused, as the title suggests, on, on addressing some of the challenges we have uh, on the applied engineering side. Um, our main focus is really to help with the transition to a decarbonized economy. And in my division, which is the transportation and power systems division, our focus is really on anything related to mobility, moving people, moving goods, and also uh, in terms of, of how would we potentially generate electricity or how else could we store that electricity to then eventually uh, use it for mobility applications. So it's a pretty broad portfolio. Uh, the team here is about 140 people. We have um, sizable experimental facilities. Um, for, for vehicle testing, component testing. They go hand in hand with uh, simulation activities th that we have here, where we simulate everything from the component to the system level. And then even on the regional level, we have an agent-based simulation tool that simulates, uh, for example, the entire Chicago um, regional area. Um, one aspect that's probably also unique for, for us here at Argonne is uh, we have traditionally been engaged in workforce development. We have a student competition that's quite well established um, that Argon has been managing for Department of Energy for probably 30 years. And um, so we also try to bridge this gap as we transition into this new um, electrified reality. Um, how can we help uh, transition the workforce to have new opportunities in that space as well? Very good. Thank you. Perfect. So let's, let's jump right in. It's like within the year, Everybody in the U.S. and globally also is talks about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, where a lot of some of the things you touched upon has come in, certainly maybe more on the manufacturing side. But as of late, we're also talking about how do we get the, let's call it the users of this new energy, hydrogen, battery electric vehicles also encouraged. So not necessarily the manufacturer, but also the users. Where is Argon involved with this? I mean, how do you help? Not only the manufacturing side of batteries, uh, fuel cells, uh, hydrogen generation, but also then the user side to really adopt it and make consumers like like us drive these types of vehicles. And where, where do you see how you help uh, with that transition? So um, I think we're quite broadly involved in this. As you suggested, um, it starts really on the fundamental side where we have traditionally done a lot of research on the technical solutions. And those include um, electrified powertrains for light duty, medium and heavy duty vehicles. Nowadays, we're working uh, more on, on even decarbonizing rail, marine, aviation, and some of those other modes. So that's more on the technical solution side. We've also have a very large footprint in the analysis side. I already spoke about 
uh, the simulation that in some cases goes hand in hand with the component development, but we also do analysis. Uh, uh, you mentioned, for example, IRA. Um, we, we're doing analysis in terms of, of um, uh, what are some of the financial incentives. We also do work um, with the Joint Office of Energy and Transportation. When you think about uh, the rollout of electric vehicle charging stations and considerations um, as to what might be an appropriate location based on technical requirements, based on maybe available grid infrastructure, but certainly also uh, always with an eye on environmental justice and equity. So, so we have um, a separate team outside of my division that specifically looks at those aspects uh, to make sure that, that that rollout of an electric infrastructure is equitable um, for the entire society. Interesting. So let's stay for a moment with the uh, electrical charging infrastructure. I'm a, a new proud owner of a, a first electric vehicle for the family. And uh, I think at least between my wife and I, we were a little bit worried or a little unsure about the different things about owning an electric vehicle. Charging certainly is the common denominator. What do you see as the next step that we as a, as a nation or maybe you as Argon or we as from the supply side or maybe the OEMs should be taken or should be more focused on to overcome some of that hesitation? And again, the reason I'm bringing it up is I've been working in this space for 10 plus years, yet I'm considering myself very similar to maybe non-automotive or automotive technology-based people that also have maybe even then larger concerns because we're not constantly hearing what's going on and what other people are doing. So what do you see and what is the government sort of tasking you guys with, with doing? Well, first of congratulations for taking that big step of having an electric vehicle in your fleet. Um, my family um, also has an electric car and um, I agree that at first that transition might seem uh, scary or intimidating because you hear about range anxiety as, as one of the examples. Um, where Argon is specifically involved in here, are, are, there is various aspects. One very important aspect right now is reliability of charging, especially when it comes to DC fast charging. Uh, there is information out there, and depending on which source um, you want to believe, there is a significant fraction of the attempted electric vehicle charging events that are unsuccessful. And um, I always remind um, um, everyone in that conversation that the benchmark that we come from is conventional vehicles. And do you remember the last time you went to a gas station and left without gasoline? Um, I honestly don't. So the success rate in terms of refueling is very high. And that's the benchmark we have to consider when we think of electric vehicle charging. That's what we strive towards. And that's a major focus for the joint offices I'd mentioned. And um, our teams uh, here in the grid integration technology side are heavily involved in this standards-based um, communication between vehicle and the charger. The standards exist, but there is certainly a lot of work to do in terms of developing uh, performance indicators, uh, refining the standards to ensure that uh, this expectation that the consumer has in terms of success rate is something that we can, that we can meet. Um, another important aspect um, outside of DC charging, which in an ideal electrified future would be not the norm for everyone. We, we can suggest that uh, every charging event is a DC charging event. Uh, predominantly, vehicles should be AC charged at home, at a workplace, or elsewhere where you might be dwelling for an extended period of time. And what's important there is that we consider how do we reach the entire population with AC charging? Uh, you and I are probably fortunate that, that we have dedicated parking where we have EV charging available. 
right? That is only true for about half the population. So how do we ensure equitable charging for, for people that don't have a dedicated parking spot? So there is some interesting conversations going on with, with curbside charging as one example, or um, other opportunities um, on um, how to ensure that, that um, uh, people have access to charging uh, when they need it. Um, another very important factor is really um, changing almost like a paradigm shift in terms of how we think about refueling versus recharging, right? It sounds so similar. So the initial anticipation is, well, it's the same thing. When my tank is empty, I go to the gas station. When my electric vehicle uh, is low on charge, I'll go and recharge. But in reality, um, because of the distributed charging that, that we're advocating for, uh, that might not be the case. And your vehicle during regular operation might never drop below, let's say, 50% state of charge because maybe your daily driving is such that, that you plug in at night and you always top off the vehicle. There's another important factor when you consider that because um, right now we're very concerned about electric vehicles as a, an additional drag on the grid, which could be a concern. But if we think of a future where electric vehicles are connected to the grid, whether they need a charge at this point in time or not, then all those distributed batteries could be leveraged as a resource, and they might be able to actually help stabilize the grid and provide services. So those are some of the areas we're looking into. At a high level, that all sounds great, but uh, you can imagine that there is a lot of, of details that need to be worked out, um, questions in terms of, of warranty, warranty, revenue sharing, how, what are the communication standards, and those are all topics that uh, we our team is involved with uh, with partners at other national laboratories and in industry. Interesting, very interesting. You alluded, Thomas, at the beginning a little bit that you're not just doing passenger vehicles and heavy-duty truck, right? But you mentioned rail, you talked marine, I assume maybe EV tall, so electrical airplanes maybe is, is something you're involved as well. Share a little bit there because I think that is sort of the the next frontier now that has sort of, in my opinion, at least adopted the, the electromobility or electrification push. And then certainly they're also, with other industries as well, certainly heavy duty, the, the hydrogen or fuel cell based. But share a little bit about those industry maybe again outside of what you and I see on a daily basis, which is medium and heavy duty trucks and obviously the personal vehicles we drive. What are those, in, these, all those other industries doing, right? Construction, marine, rail, et cetera. Yes, yeah, so, so um, historically there was a lot of focus on light duty vehicles. The, the main reason is an obvious one, that's a majority of the energy consumed for transportation is in the light duty sector. But uh, for light duty, we with uh, electrification, we have a, a very workable solution as we see with significant uptake uh, in terms of electric vehicles uh, in the market. As we look at applications, uh, that are higher in power, longer daily driving, or just higher ener energy density requirements, um, the all-electric option might not be the ideal option. So, so um, the, there was a uh, release of a um, decarbonization roadmap from the U.S. government fairly recently, where they really laid that out quite well in terms of um, what are the options we should consider. And um, uh, you spoke about medium heavy-duty trucking, right? Electrification might be the right answer for some of those vocations. If we think of, of uh, long-haul trucking, maybe uh, there's other options we need to look into, like uh, hydrogen and fuel cells. Um, and then when we get into um, 
other applications. We refer to them as DORMA. There's actually an office in the vehicle technologies office at the U.S. Department of Energy. This acronym is DORMA, decarbonization of rail, marine, and aviation. Right? And when you think of those applications, direct electrification seems to be a much less likely answer. We might still be able to use renewable electricity, but how we store that for those applications might be very different. For aviation, for example, sustainable aviation fuels seem to be uh, the path that, that, that the industry is, is um, embarking on. If we think of, of rail and marine, I think the answer is still somewhat open as to what might be the, the right application. Hydrogen and fuel cell come to mind. Um, maybe other ways of storing hydrogen that could be ammonia or methanol or some other chemical way of storing, storing hydrogen. And um, fortunately here at Argonne, um, we have a long history on working in large engines. Uh, we, we have uh, locomotive size engines here on site. And so we have spent uh, several decades working in that area and we can leverage some of those resources to really try and identify some of, uh, of the answers that are needed uh, for those applications. Interesting, interesting. But let, let's sting a little bit with this, and let's say we go back five years and what you were at Argonne doing then and compare that with what you're going to see over the next five years. What are the biggest changes you have observed and are going to observe when you look into the future as we reimagine mobility? Is it, is it the tools that you have at your disposal at Argonne to do your research and do your testing and do an analysis? Is it... Is it the equipment? Is it simulation technology that certainly has come a long way from five years ago and is going to continue with the addition of AI the next five years? Is it the technology that comes out of the out of the uh, the economy or from the OEMs, from all those different players we just talked about? You share with us. What, what do you see? What's the, the big change that you have experienced? So from an application standpoint, I think we already spoke uh, to some extent about that. Uh, we have really transitioned from uh, traditionally having worked in light-duty space and now uh, much more focused on the medium-heavy-duty and some off-road uh, as, we, as we spoke about. The other aspect I think th that um, at a high level that has changed is um, we used to look at individual solutions, right? You could be an automotive expert and be happy for an entire career uh, with your blinders on and maybe not look too much left or right. And I think with uh, um, thinking of all the alternatives we're looking at right now, that is not the right path forward. So, so the term that we're using here really is systems of systems considerations. And the best example here is, is um, electrified mobility. Right? We can't just look at that in isolation because if we put additional load on the grid, well, how does that impact uh, the grid? And what opportunities do we have by doing this in a smart way versus in an, in an unmanaged way? Um, and um, electric vehicles in the grid is just one of those examples. If we think of hydrogen, right? Uh, now we have to think of a new refueling infrastructure. What would the build out of that look like? And um, you could go on and on in terms of the examples of of how systems that we previously considered separate are now being connected. And um, the way we approach it here at Argonne is really from, from a um, consumer needs um, and desire standpoint, because ultimately what we have to deliver is not the perfect technical solution, but it's a solution that customers are looking to embrace. And um, um, they, they, um, they are choosing modes because of individual preferences and um, certain um, constraints they might have. And um, 
the the um, treating them as one homogenous um, block isn't the right way. It's not the right way for light duty application, and it's certainly not the right way when we think of of um, other applications. Right? Typically, we refer to um, uh, some of those uh, large applications as hard to decarbonize, which might generally be true, but some of them are much easier to decarbonize than others. And the answer, yet again, lies into a system analysis where, where, you know, depending on where you're located, what resources you might be available, hydrogen might be the right answer, or electrification might be the right answer. So in general, I think over the last five years, we have started to, to just widen our aperture in terms of what do we need to consider to come up with the right answer versus just deep diving into what into technical solutions? So I think that was probably the biggest change uh, that, that we see here. And, and um, as you mentioned, um, improved computational resources certainly play into that. AI is playing into this um, as well. But but um, at a high level, it's really it has allowed us to to look at those uh, systems of systems in a more integrated way. Um, yeah. It's only you bringing up systems of, of systems because we have certainly seen at ADL of the last, I would say, three plus years, a consistent increase in importance and, and staffing as well that we need for systems engineers, right? Where before we were sort of, we all sort of created our own Lego blocks and then assumed they all came together. Today, we sort of start with the systems guy that then decides what the Lego blocks are before we design them and then come all together and put them together. So very... Uh, very appropriate there. Let, let's jump in on some of the mega trends, right? So besides electrification, really, or the decarbonization trend or, or push that you are heavily involved with Argon and we as well, we see obviously other many, many other mega trends in the automotive space or in the mobility space. One certainly is, again, the emergence of AI in all the different places it can be used. And I think in many places it's already used today, at least to some degree, we don't even recognize that it's truly AI. The other one clearly is ADAS or autonomous driving, right? And whereas a few years ago, level two was like the thing we all pushed for. Now it's level two plus and level three that we're really getting to. And I think we're still a little bit or several years out from truly level four, level five. But how does these other two mega trends, again, AI on one side and let's just say autonomous driving, so level four, level five, how do those two tie into what you guys are doing at Oregon? Um, when it comes to, to um, ADAS and ADS automated driving uh, features, uh, that's another area that, that um, over the last five years we have engaged heavily. Um, being a national laboratory, our the Department of Energy National Laboratory, our focus is actually quite different fr from what's very frequently discussed, and that is the safety aspects, right? Um, when you think of connected automated vehicles, you think of edge cases, uh, that might be of concern, and of course, we all know news, uh, news stories uh, that support that. Our interest um, from an energy standpoint is quite at the other end of the spectrum, and I always call these the, the boring, mundane cases, but the ones that happen over and over again during a day. And if you think from an energy uh, point of view, those are the ones, if you do those well, in an energy efficient way, that's where the energy savings are. So we really, we are um, focusing on this niche to some extent, while everybody else is focusing on the safety aspects, we're looking at where are opportunities for energy savings with connected and automated vehicles. Um, we have done uh, a lot of analysis, but also some experimental work. Um, some examples just to highlight here, we, we operate production connected and automated vehicles 
we have developed our own sensor array. And what we are interested in is um, how does um, an automated vehicle impact traffic around itself, around the eco vehicle. The eco vehicle might be operating very fuel efficient, but if it upsets traffic flow, then overall we might see an increased energy consumption. That's an aspect we're interested in. And then um, going back again to the systems of systems perspective, another aspect that's very important with connectivity and automation is how are people going to use it? There's some very interesting studies out there that, that suggest that um, we might see more vehicle miles traveled because if I don't have to do the driving myself, I might be willing uh, to accept a longer commute or things I would have otherwise done with uh, rail or flying or some other mode of transportation I'm willing to, uh, to drive now and how that might have a negative impact on, on the overall energy consumption. Uh, that is another area that, that uh, we are quite interested in. I think the jury is still out. Um, uh, as you're well aware, um, the, the um, full automation is, is um, still a couple years out, as, as you had mentioned. And um, that's going to be very interesting in terms of how people are engaging with the system, because that could have much larger energy implications than building the perfect system. And yet again, that, that's uh, where so like this human behavior aspect comes in, that as an engineer, I never thought that that would be a major concern for, 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 for our engineering teams to understand how people might engage uh, with the system. Okay. If, if OEMs or suppliers are listening to this, Thomas, how can they get a, a hold of you guys to try and benefit from some of those studies and, and then testing you can do or studies you do for the government to, again, improve the technology and sort of future-proof uh, their vehicles or their designs that it's not just good for the next year or two, but really something that hopefully is much more future-proof. We all know there is nothing that is 100% future-proof, but can use this to, to better their products. Is there a way to get a hold of you? Is there the best way to get information from you? What, what would that be? So, so we are quite engaged. Being the applied side of, the, of Argonne National Laboratory, we are quite engaged uh, with industry. We're part of many consortia, and I would encourage anyone that, that uh, works in this space uh, to um, either contact us and we can point you in the right direction. Some areas th that come to mind is um, we're in consortia that are looking at uh, improving the reli reliability of electric vehicle charging. There's a joint office ChargeX consortium th that's worth highlighting. Also, uh, to, um, since we spoke about connected and automated vehicles, one topic we are uh, engaged in with SAE standards communities now is how would you test a fully autonomous vehicle for fuel economy. I mean, maybe following a drive cycle doesn't make any sense at that point because the vehicle is making driving decisions. So, so these kinds of forward-looking questions is what we are interested in, and we encourage uh, industrial players uh, and others that are interested in that space to engage with us and engage um, especially with, with the standards bodies because, um, as you know, they typically move slowly in many cases, not in all, and um, we need to get ahead so, so when those technologies are coming out, that the standards are ready to really evaluate them too. That's great. It's a perfect fit for what we're talking here, how we reimagine mobility. Thomas, this has been great. Final question for you. What's going to be your next vehicle you're going to buy and why? That's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I mentioned that, that our family has an electric vehicle, and actually I, um, what we purchased was an eight-year-old electric vehicle. So, so we were that customer that, that, that um, um, takes the risk of buying a vehicle that's out of warranty. 
but um, knock on wood, it has been treating us quite well. Um, we we enjoy the quiet um, uh, acceleration. I have young kids, so the, so, so they they enjoy the quiet um, uh, quiet mode of operation. Right now, what, what I might be looking for is um, fully electric vehicles that that can accommodate a growing family. Uh, plus, may, maybe you know some of the toys and bicycles and everything else. We see some of those vehicles coming out, and uh, that's something I'm particularly excited about because. Um, that um, the more we build out options for for any individual situation, I think the more uptake we'll see of those vehicles as well. Mike. Thank you. Would would I maybe to add one more last question subsection A? Would a hybrid fall into this for you? Or are you like no? I'm really I'm more of a pure pure EV kind of guy. Um, I'm I'm personally really open uh, to the hybrid and plug-in hybrid uh, option as well. Um, um, especially since we are in the Chicago area, we have family in Michigan, and uh, so that uh, we do this drive on a regular basis, but for most of the day-to-day uh, -day driving, we don't need the big battery, right? So maybe they're, 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 um, a plug-in hybrid might be a logical solution to keep vehicle weight and keep costs down, but still for the daily driving, still uh, be able to uh, take advantage of electric mobility. So, so certainly something that's on, on our radar. Very good. Perfect. Thomas, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing what you and Argonne National Lab is doing to reimagine mobility here and for many different applications in the U.S. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.